Hello, this is Wade. You know, it's always my hope that you'll be blessed and inspired in your walk with the Lord as you listen today. Praise the Lord. Wasn't the Spirit sweet this morning? Oh, I love that. I love it when the Lord comes in like a flood like that. I want to share this morning from Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 through 14. There's an old story that preachers uh, love to tell about a social gathering. A party had gotten together in a small community. And there was an older preacher there that had been preaching for decades. And there was also a very famous actor that had come home to his hometown. And this gathering had come to recognize this actor and the pastor had come and, and uh, someone had a great idea of let's have them recite something for us. And the old preacher, you know, he'd been preaching for decades and he wasn't, you know, not, he wasn't the most eloquent speaker, not particularly gifted, but here was this artist. He knew acting. He'd been on the stage. He, he was very good at what he did and, and uh, very well educated, very well trained. And, and someone said, hey, let's, let's ask them to recite the 23rd Psalm. And so the actor went first. And the expression was beautiful. It was magnificent. It was so beautiful the way he put the emphasis on the words, every syllable spoken at the right time in the right way. It was magical. And when he finished, everybody applauded. And then the old preacher stood up and quoted the 23rd Psalm in a very different way. And it was wonderful how he hung on the verses. And there was no applause, but there were many eyes that were wet as they heard this preacher say what he said. Somebody came up to the actor afterwards and said, you know, you were very good at what you did, but he was also very good at what he did. And it was just different, and I can't quite put my finger on what it was. And the actor said, you know, I think I know what it was. And he goes, what is it? He goes, well... I knew the psalm, but he knew the shepherd. My friends, that is what I want to talk to you about today. I, want, I think it's important that we need to learn who Jesus Christ is. To know him. To know the word. Not enough. Is, the word of God is not enough. We need to know the God of the word. The God who actually spoke those words. To know him intimately. If there's one thing that I need and you need, and that is exactly what Paul said, I want to know Christ. Uh, and that's exactly what Philippians 3.10 begins with. Let's look at this text. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. The greatest ambition that this great Christian leader said and knew was he wanted to know Christ. I mean, this was Paul's desire. This was his goal. This was his ambition. This was the example he set for you and me to follow him. Because he wanted to know Christ. 
You know, when we get to heaven, it should be a meeting's between someone face to face. We're going to meet him face to face and it would be great to know him heart to heart. Do you know Christ? Do you know him intimately? Is he more than a figure in your imagination? Is he someone you know intimately because he lives within you? Is he more precious than any acreage you ever owned, any dollar you've ever had in the bank account? Is he first and foremost? Paul declares, I want to know Christ. I want to know everything about him. And he lists the list in verse 10, the power of his resurrection. I want to know that. The fellowship of his sharing in his sufferings. And and most of us would say, ah. But the truth is, we will. If you are his, you will. But he'll walk with you through the valley. Becoming like him in his death. Paul's not saying, I'm going to be crucified. I don't want to be crucified like him. What he's saying is, when I die, I want to be like Jesus, a single seed that brings thousands to the kingdom. Somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. The very very first step accomplishing all of this is Paul lays it out and says, I want to know Christ. It's this foundational desire, this this arduous ambition, this, this wondrous goal that will lead you to walk through each of these doors. Because here is the deal. Jesus is the perfect prize that Paul talks about later in the text. In verse 14, he says this, I press on towards a goal to win the prize. And the prize is Jesus Christ. First, the first thing we need to do is we must remain focused. We must remain focused. You, you, you know, you have to know about Jesus to know Jesus. But the problem is... You can know about Jesus and never know Jesus. There's a difference. And there are many people who have backslidden, who have come to church, who've, who've made a commitment at some point in their life, but they're just kind of coasting along. And my friends, it's hard to believe that you can have a Bible under your arm and be backslidden, but the truth is you can. You can be Bible taught and not spirit taught. And there's a mass difference between that. We need to stay focused. Secondly, we must admit that we have faulty facts. Faulty facts. And I'll explain that in a moment. But I just want to pose a question to you. Paul met the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus. He was caught up in the third heaven. In body or spirit, he doesn't know. But he did. And yet he says, I want to know Christ. I mean, did this man know Jesus or not? What does Paul write in verse 12? He says this, not that I've already obtained it. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. The question is, didn't Paul know Jesus? Let me just remind you that Christopher Columbus discovered America. He only saw a bit of it. He only saw a piece of it. He never saw the Appalachians. He never saw the great Mississippi. He never saw the great plains where we live. He never saw the Rocky Mountains. And he never got out to the beautiful Utah or out to Nevada, out to the Mojave Desert or into California. He never even got to see the Pacific Ocean. But he discovered America. But he only knew a piece of it because America was so vast. And my friends, isn't that true? You know... Job 
God showed up in the book of Job, and I, I just got out of Job in my devotional reading, and, and I'm telling you, Job had made some assumptions about God. He made some conclusions about God. He made some judgments against God. And my friends, God shows up and asks him a question. He says this, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Job replied, surely I spoke of things I did not understand and things too wonderful for me to know. You know what he's saying? It's above my pay grade. My friends, there are things about God you and I will never know. And to make, make conclusions and judgments and fill in the gaps with our own self-understanding is an ignorant thing to do. And it is a dangerous thing to do. And there are a lot of people basically betting their soul that they're right. But the Word of God tells us that we need Jesus Christ. So if Paul, this great apostle, and Job, who God bragged about as a man uh, beyond his contemporaries, if they had problems knowing everything, then you and I are going to have problems knowing everything. God is so big, so vast, so wondrous, so mighty, there's no way in a million lifetimes you could ever figure it all out. Never. No growing Christian is ever satisfied with spiritual attainment. No growing Christian is satisfied. Am I talking to myself here? I mean, if you're growing, you should be different. I like what this cowboy had a t-shirt on. He just got saved and, and been serving the Lord for about three months. And this is what it said on his t-shirt. I ain't what I ought to be, and I ain't what I'm going to be, but thank God I ain't what I was. <laughs> that man's growing. He's changing. If you served the Lord for 20 years... And all you can brag about was 1979 when you had a summer of revival and that's all you got, something's wrong. Something's missing. That man was saved and he was growing. And my friends, you should be growing. You should be hungry. You should be thirsting. Just like you hunger for steak or breakfast or supper or whatever. Do you think you've arrived because if you think you've arrived, I've got something sadly to tell you. You haven't. Paul, this mighty man of God, said, I haven't obtained it yet. I haven't even reached it yet. I mean, it's important that we understand this. You know, one man was arguing with his wife, and he said to her, I guess you think I'm a perfect fool. And she said, now, dear, nobody's perfect. She didn't say he wasn't a fool. Just for those who are a little slower on the uptake. Can I tell you, you're not perfect, and I'm not perfect. And we won't be perfect until we cross over to the other side. That's when perfection comes. Right now, we see as in a glass dimly. We don't see the whole picture. We can't. And if you're satisfied, I'm just going to tell you, you have very low aim. If you're satisfied with God right now, you have very low aim. So we have seen our need to be focused in verse 10. We have seen uh, that we must admit our faulty facts in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect. 
And faulty facts is when we make assumptions and judgments because we do not know everything about God and so we fill in the blanks ourselves. That is a dangerous place to be. Third, we must forget our failures. We must forget our failures. Look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. You know how important that is? Because the devil will bring up everything you've ever done in your life and say, God can't love you. But that's not what God said. He said, if you've come to me and given you your life, I have taken your sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west. That's, that's like, that's even better than Mahomes can throw the football. I mean, from the east as far as the west. You can't hardly do that. And so I, I think it's important that we understand we need to forget our failures. You know, in the economy of God, there's only one way to fail, and that's to quit. Don't ever quit. Don't ever quit on God, because God can do the impossible. Amen? So, I, I read about Thomas Edison, you know, who discovered the light bulb. You know, he, he had 14,000 experiments that failed. I mean, Abraham Lincoln lost more elections than he ever won, and he was one of our greatest presidents. Not only that, Albert Einstein failed mathematics. And he was one of the greatest mathematicians we ever had in a century. I mean, they all had one thing in common. They never allowed their failures to dictate who they are right now. And my friends, if we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, he has forgiven us. and Our names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Guess what? We are a winner. No matter what we feel, no matter what we sense, we could be in the valley right now. But man, God can lift you up the next moment. At any moment. My friends, may I encourage you with the words that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. This is from Eugene Peterson's The Message. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28. From The Message, it says, Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Choose, he chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That means... He sees more value in you than you probably see in yourself because you have been beaten down most of your life. But God says, I see a prince. I see a queen. I see a king. I see a pastor. I see a preacher. I see someone I love and died for. That's how he sees you. Do not allow the devil to beat you down and make you feel like you're nobody. Because when you're a king's kid, you're every, everything that God wants. The secret power. Now, the last thing I want to talk to you about is something. Solidify our foundation. Solidify our foundation. The secret is in concentration. Concentration. I have brought a prop with me today. little magnifying glass. Now, I never had a magnifying glass when I was a child. I had, a, I had from the box, this is how old this is, I had a box of Cracker Jacks. And in that box of Cracker Jacks, there was a magnifying glass made of plastic. And you know what I did with my little magnifying glass? I went out in San Diego in a place called Santee, California, and we had fire ants everywhere. And I would go out there and I would take that sunlight and I would take that magnifying glass and I would, I would put it at that right angle. You know what I'm talking about? That right place 
where all of a sudden you see the ant just kind of pop. Smoke, pop. And it was even fun, too, if you could catch a sister not paying attention and kind of put it on her leg. That would make her jump. But there's something about taking that sunlight and concentrating it down to a pinpoint that you could smoke a leaf, you could pop an ant, you could do all of that. Concentration is what really gets the job done. And when, you, when, when some of you people were children, you did this. And you didn't even know that it was a secret to everything. Concentration is the secret power to place all of your concentration on what Paul is speaking about in verse 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards a goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the perfect prize. He is that treasure that he spoke about when he was teaching. The man who came across the, the, the pasture and came across a great treasure. Remember what he'd do to deserve to get that? He sold everything he had because he knew that treasure was worth more than all that he had. My friends, Jesus is worth everything you've got. And even more. And my friends, that concentration, understanding that, that is our focus, that is our concentration. Verse uh, Matthew 6, 24 says this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved by money. You can't serve God and be enslaved to anything. You see, this is the devil's trick, man. He wants to split your concentration. He knows if you get really concentrated, God can do some great things through you. But he's going to split. And have you ever noticed that the phone never rings until you get into your devotions? Have you ever noticed that when you're reading the word of God or you're praying, that's when suddenly something happens? It's always amazing me that I'm like, oh, the devil's trying to, trying to switch me because I get easily distracted. I'm like, squirrel, you know, that's who I am. And he knows that, and so he does this to me all the time. But besides all of that, the enemy wants to break that concentration because he wants you to be ignorant that he's doing it. Can I tell you who's the most dangerous enemy you could ever have? Is it one that wears a uniform and and, an ideology that is totally different than yours? Or is it someone that looks and talks just like you do? The greatest enemy we could ever have is someone we don't know who is really an enemy, but they are. The devil is our enemy. We know it, but he comes in so many different ways and so many different forms. He wants to split your concentration. He wants to break your focus. He absolutely knows the possibility that in your life, if you really got tied into God and wanted God more than anything else, that God could use you in a great and mighty way. So don't allow the enemy to do that. Keep your eye on the prize. Forget your failures. Remember, it's hard to look over your shoulder at your past when you're running towards your future. Pastor was having a child's children's sermon. He had all the children up in this little church. And he was telling them about 
Sodom and Gomorrah and about Lot's wife and how she looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. And one little boy stood up and shouted right there in front of the entire congregation, Oh, that's nothing. My mom looked back and turned into a telephone pole just yesterday. My friends, don't allow yourself to be duped. Don't allow yourself to, be, to think that somehow you've arrived, that I've got all of God I ever need. God has so much more to give to anyone who seeks him. He can take you to heights that you never even believed you could go. God is able to do that. The Holy Spirit will teach you anything that you need. And there's nothing wrong with asking questions either. But my friends, do not believe that somehow you have arrived. Keep growing. Keep knowing. And concentrate on what God created you to do. When the spacecraft Challenger exploded, I remember exactly where I was at. I happened to be walking into the police department in Concordia, Kansas, and they had a little TV. And the dispatcher was locked on to the TV. And they were showing the explosion over and over and over again. I'll never forget that. You know, our country mourned in a united way more than when John F. Kennedy was assassinated that day. We just couldn't believe it because they had done it so often. We just didn't believe that this could happen. The president at the time, he absolutely did the one thing that never has happened in the history of our country. He delayed the State of the Union address, and that's never happened in our country's history. And yet that very day, President Ronald Reagan declared our national space program would continue. It would not end. The people of the nation agreed. Why? Because this nation was founded by men and women who were brave, who sought out different places, who, who pioneered, who went where nobody else had gone. They went out, a long line of explorers who led our country into what it is. And, they can care, and these, these people on that ship that exploded, they can be characterized as those who were also a part of that group. Men and women have sailed uncharted seas and marched through unknown lands and scaled lofty mountains and when there is no more earthly horizons, they look out into space and we have walked on the moon and we have gazed at the distant stars. How this world needs men and women with vision, with persistence, who still and will believe that the God of the universe has more to give to a person than what the ordinary average person takes. One who will dare to believe that God can do anything. What can God do with such a person? I challenge you this morning, be that person. Be that person. I don't care what I see. I don't care what I feel. I don't care what I, what I have. I am going to be the person that believes God can do great things. I believe that God is able to still do great things. He can still heal. He can still build mountains. He can still cause mountains to come down. He can cause open doors to suddenly shut and never open again. My friends, he is able. He is able. 
I'm going to have you stand with me. Maybe there's a mountain in your life right now that's pretty tall. Maybe there's something in your life right now that's blocking the road. Maybe there's something that you don't understand about God and you need to understand it. Maybe it's that moment in your life that will be a defining moment right here, right now. But this is what I know. God has never changed. He is still the God of Moses. He is still the God of David. He is still the God who raised the widow's son. He is able to do all of this. And my friends, what would happen if a church caught vision of that? What could that church do? What could that church accomplish for the kingdom of God? My friends, I want to find out. I want to find out through you and me and see what God can do. Amen? Hey, this is Pastor Wade. Uh, Thanks so much for stopping by and listening today. And like always, my prayer is that the Lord would bless you and guard your heart for that day.